Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello. This is Jack Spillane, um, and I'm here with Chris McCarthy, who's uh, uh, a local political analyst. Uh, The great thing about Chris is uh, he knows both local and state and national politics. Uh, You can hear him on WBSM and uh, sometimes the Boston Herald Radio, if you listen to that. So we're going to talk about the New Bedford preliminary election today and uh, what Chris and I were surprised at, what we uh, were not surprised at, and what we think might happen between now and the November 8th election. How are you, Chris? I'm I'm doing great, Jack. Thanks for having me down. It's always nice to be here at the Standard Times. So, Mayor race. Uh, First off, uh, the mayor came in, won, I think, about 55, 45, uh, maybe three or 400 votes. Were you surprised by that? I was surprised by that. I think John Mitchell was probably surprised by that. I think Charlie Perry was probably surprised by that. I thought um, the mayor would do better. I think that he he should have anticipated some things, and I think his campaign team probably had a, had a, had a, a uh, an uncomfortable evening. I think he was probably let down by some of his people around him. So we had a, a 9.4% turnout, very low turnout, but not unknown for preliminary elections in, in New Bedford. Do you think that might have had something to do with it? You know, just and not to go too far off topic here, but what I find interesting is I'd be curious to see just how many of those voters are actual voters. In other words, it, we have about 57,000 registered voters in the city of New Bedford and a, and a population of about 95,000. That number, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's done fraudulently or anything. I'm just saying, I bet you you could cull those, the, the voters who aren't here anymore, out of that list. Because it looks like every single adult is a registered voter in New Bedford. Because the population takes into account children. No, nowhere in America do you have this sort of a high rate of, um, of registered voters. But we have to work with what we have to work with. Yeah, for a long time since I've been in New Bedford, uh, 18 years, I, I've wondered about the um, high percentage of, of, of possible voters. Um, uh, I think that that is not entirely by accident. Um, I think that they are they give people the benefit of the doubt before yes. they uh, uh, cull them off. Uh, there are people who have multiple residences, people mm-hmm. who are, are here and you know perhaps in someplace else, uh, other parts of the times of the year. Uh, but uh, it, it is a healthy uh, number of voters. I, I didn't realize they had children. Uh, no, no. Well, in other words, the full population takes into account children. Yes, of course. So therefore, if you have 95,000 people, of course, they can't be registered to vote till they're 18, and you have 57 or 54, whatever it is, thousand voters, it, it makes, means that basically every adult is a registered voter in New Bedford, which so, just doesn't seem logical. So do you suspect that there were some um, uh, voters that were not proper? No, I no, and let me make up a point here. I don't yeah. think it. I don't think it's fraud or anything like that. I think it's just what you said. They give people the benefit of the doubt. If you haven't voted in a while, they don't want to throw you off the rolls. That way, you can still go vote. It, it's it's a it's a small p progressive way of doing things. I'll give you an example. In Fairhaven, they throw people off the ballot, con- off the off the voter rolls constantly. They're constantly culling the voter rolls. Um, so, in other words, when you look at the turnout, I think the turnout of actual people who regularly vote was probably higher than the 9%, but it's impossible for you and I as analysts and, 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 and reporters to 
to know that. We have to go with the percentage of voters who turned out versus the percentage of voters that are that are registered, and so therefore we're, at, we're around 9%. Be, be that what, what, what it, as it may, uh, even if we're at 20% or, or something a little bit higher, you have a three-term incumbent, mm-hmm. uh, uh, very well-known, um, uh, didn't have a lot of political experience before he became mayor, but certainly does now. Absolutely. And he's running against a, a police officer, a veteran officer, Charlie Perry, who is well-known, but, but perhaps doesn't... Um, he doesn't have any political experience, clearly, right. and um, uh, th- there were no uh, debates. Uh, there was one debate that that um, the mayor wasn't able to get to. Uh, but so, how, how do we get this kind of result? Well, first of all, as we always say in New Bedford, there's a shelf life on being the mayor. No matter who you are as mayor, at some point you make enough decisions to anger enough people, and, and that's just the way it is. It's not, not, and people get frustrated, and they take their frustration out on the incumbent. And that shelf life is around four or five terms? Yeah, I think four terms, usually. So, so John Mitchell should have anticipated he's going to have a, a, a certain amount of the population, regardless of what he did, was going to be against him. One way it's been explained to me is that the amount of people you had to say no to mm-hmm. begins to outweigh the people you said yes to. Exactly. Right. So, so for John Mitchell, who's got a good... I think he's got some accomplishments he can point to. There's certainly... I think he laid back. And I think that his campaign team... Again, he's trying to run the city, and he's trying to be the mayor. And at this stage of, his, of the game, generally you turn this stuff over to a team. I don't know who his team is, but they didn't do any media buys, as, as I can tell. I, didn't, I don't know of any direct mail, very little sign presence, no ads in the Standard Times that I, that I saw. They just let it go. Just yeah. You think that will change going forward? I think it's absolutely going to change. Well, here's the thing, Jack. Ten or $15,000 spent strategically... Two and two two weeks ago, is now going to have to be made up with fifty or sixty thousand, because he's given him he's he looks vulnerable in to to people whether he is or he isn't. I don't I, I don't he, think he, he is. Does but. he look vulnerable or does it just look like there was a message that was uh, trying to be sent? I was talking to one wag who said uh, a lot of people who might want to send a message if they really thought Charlie Perry could win might not vote for him. Uh, uh, the mayor. Um, Certainly has accomplishments. Uh, oh, yeah. The marine terminal, uh, the harbor walk, um, the school system turnaround. Uh, none of that was uh, uh, pointed out in any kind of advertising right. or, or anything prior to the the primary. I, I have to assume he he will do that now. Yes, one. I think he will do it with a vengeance now, don't you, Jack? Um, and 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 great for the salespeople in the media business. Um, he he also had to to realize that. Ward 4 was going to be a get-out-the-vote. Ward 4 was going to come out strong because of the primary over there, and Charlie Perry won every single precinct over there. Now, those are Charlie Perry votes. I don't, those are not anti-John Mitchell votes. I think those are people who—so who they. So Charlie Perry was going to get those votes. For anyone who doesn't know, Ward 4 is the heart of the Cape Verdean community right. in New Bedford. And Charlie Perry's Cape, Cape Verdean, for those people who don't, who don't know that, and, and very well-known in the Cape Verdean community and appreciated. So I think John Mitchell had to look and say— it's nothing against John Mitchell. I mean, there's an ethnic, there's an ethnic piece to that that's that's good. I mean, that's the how the Irish operate, the Italians, the Cape Verdeans. Every, people operate that way. Portuguese, you, Portuguese, right? You want to elect candidates who are like you, and and it's it's Charlie Perry is, you know, people are really proud of him. A lot of people in the Cape Verdean community. So, John Mitchell, just from a political standpoint, had to anticipate. There's nothing he can do to stop that vote. So he had to drive it up. What's interesting 
is 6A and B had an incredibly low turnout. Those are like... Uh, t- t- tell me, 6A and B, is, is that uh, Hazelwood Park? It's, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the biggest, it's two of the biggest turnout precincts in yeah. the city. It's interesting. Uh, the city uh, has uh, 36 precincts, and like any other city, there are precincts where there's a big vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buttonwood Park is one. Uh, the area around Normandon Middle School mm-hmm. is another. Uh, and uh, Hazelwood Park has always been... Uh, those precincts uh, there uh, have always been big precincts, but they're middle-class precincts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they didn't turn out. Yeah. So that leads me to believe, well, number one, we didn't see a lot of campaigning down there. Also, there was no prime, there was no preliminary election for the Ward 6 seat. So unlike, say, 4, right, where there was a big turnout. So those votes are, because it was such a low turnout and it was almost tied— that's going to be, I think, a battleground area for, for Charlie Perry and for John Mitchell because those people haven't spoken yet. And traditionally, they do come out and, and vote. And what about Ward 3? There were a few precincts that the mayor lost in Ward 3. He, he lost the majority of Ward 3. Okay. Well, all right. well you have to... So now, uh, Ward 3 is a, is a, a, a very um, heterogeneous ward. You start with some very uh, poor sections of the city yes. around Cogsall Street. And as you work your way up the hill and to the high school, it becomes more suburban. Yeah. And as you go out to the Dartmouth line... Yeah. No, it's a very. It has some of the couple of the biggest housing projects in the city, um, and then some of the most middle class neighborhoods in the city. So you're right. It's a it's a very diverse precinct award. Um, I was speaking with someone about that who knows the area very well uh, before I came here today. Um, it could be a reaction to people who live around the golf course who uh. don't necessarily. Um, who want to see economic development, but don't necessarily want to see economic development across the street from where they live. That's, that's where the marijuana dispensary would also go. Marijuana dispensary. There's talk, of course, of Amazon. If, if Amazon ever comes to the area, it comes to the New Bedford area, that would be one of the areas it would go. So if you live there, and you've lived there for 30 years, and you have your house, and you just paid it off, and you, you, know, you might not want to have the Amazon headquarters across the street from your house. You might love to have it in the city. So that, that could be... One of the issues that, that that hurt the mayor up there. What about um, where, where, should, where do you think we'll go from here with this race? Now uh, it's a very short window. Um, New Bedford holds its preliminary late. I think that's per its charter. I'm not exactly sure the Plan B uh, government that they have for River holds theirs uh, almost a month earlier. So we only have really a month for this uh, uh, election to take place. In what's what's going to happen? Well, I think first of all, Charlie Perry got a big boost. Uh, from from this, John Mitchell is going to now galvanize his forces and spend spend his resources and get out there and tell his message. The unknown factor is what is the what does the four term mayor ballot question? Oh, oh the four term, yes, yeah. Whether whether the ballot whether the mayor's term become goes to, from two years to four years, that'll be on the ballot. We haven't seen any activity on that yet. Um, I have a pretty good belief that someone who's opposed to that is going to get very active. Uh-huh. Real soon. Very real. Do you care to say who that is? There's only one guy, right? <laughs> uh, Scott Lang is absolutely opposed to the yeah. four-year term. And, and he said as much publicly already, absolutely. so it's not a, it's not a secret. Nope. And um, it, it would seem logical that he would um, uh, make his views known uh, about that. It's interesting. It's a, a turnaround for Scott. When he was mayor, uh, he initially supported it. Mm-hmm. But he explains that being mayor showed him that you really can get out of touch with the people if yes. you don't, are not careful and that um, – a four-year term might be too long, in his opinion. Yeah, he, he came, there was, well, and I think the people who were putting the four-year term together, that committee, who were all very bright people, and generally I agree with them on most things, uh, but I, I, I haven't heard a good reason yet to go to a four-year term. 
I'm willing to, to have my mind changed on it. But well, some I haven't very seen um, influential leaders on the other side uh, backing it. Dave yes. Slutz, uh, the former CEO of Price. I always don't know how I to pronounce it. Precise or Price. Uh, uh, Dave Slutz, um, uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Yes. Uh, uh, so there's uh, some, uh, I'm sure Rick Kidder and others are, are going to be active yes. uh, about that. And I think their point of view is that uh, a four-year term, especially in the very first term, mm-hmm. gives a mayor uh, the time to get something done. Uh, it's very difficult um, in a two-year term when you come into office new to uh, really get anything before you have to start raising money right. and um, uh, run again. And so there's some feeling uh, that I've heard around the city that that, that gives you that, that ability. Yeah. No, there are some, some reasons. I, I would just say historically everyone, mayor in New Bedford, gets, to, gets a second term with the exception of George Rogers and possibly Brian Lawler, though Brian Lawler had filled out the remainder of Jack Markey's term, as I, as I recall. But you have to go back to George Rogers being the mayor in 1970 for the oh, last time that a, that, a, that a guy didn't get two years. But there's plenty of people alive who remember George Rogers. And, oh, yeah. Remember, and, and certainly uh, there was strong feeling in the city that he should not be mayor any, yes. any longer. So. Well, there was a riot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's unfortunate when these people start burning buildings down in your city. It's tough to run for real effort. For, for anyone who doesn't remember, 1970, I, I think I believe, it was 6970, yeah. Uh, was the year of the New Bedford riots. Right. Uh, there were riots across the country yes. at that time. And, and, and there were in the west end of New Bedford. And um, George Rogers uh, happened to be mayor. Happened to be mayor, yeah. And and so, so anyway, on the four-year term, it'll be. I don't know if Charlie Perry's position is on that, um, but that that could have a force here. I think you're going to see Scott Lang start to get vocal uh, on that on, and being adamant that the four-year term isn't good. So that could inter- in, add a new level, a new dimension to this election. Um, for the mayor's race, I still think the mayor is in a very strong position. He has a Absolutely. lot of money. He did. He did win the election. Um, I think people will now come out to vote, and he's, he has the resources to do it. And as I said, he has accomplishments. But his his team didn't do, didn't do him any favors. In the and, cer- and certainly, um, he has the ability to do a much more active get out the vote yes. effort with uh, phone banks and things like that. He can do advertising, both direct mail and on the electronic media, right. uh, in the newspaper. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Radio, yeah, newspaper, television. He, I think we're going to see him everywhere. Right. So he has that ability. And he also, uh, I imagine we will have a, a couple of candidates nights. Mm-hmm. And, um, John Mitchell is an articulate person. Yeah. And uh, some might argue he may be able to put his case over in that kind of a forum uh, more effectively, but you don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, I used to think that the, you know there there were certain kinds of candidates that couldn't get elected, and then I saw Donald Trump elected. And so <laughs> right, I realized that. I was talking with a friend of mine, and and I said, look, I think that one of the things Donald Trump has taught us is just cut right through it, mm-hmm. just say exactly what you want to say in the manner in which you want to say it, and you'll reach people, and you'll come across as genuine. And, and get your base excited. Yeah. Because uh, there are people who don't they set out elections because they don't see either candidate many times as someone who excites them. And if you can uh, excite uh, a certain group of voters, you can bring people to the polls that maybe no, normally don't go to the polls. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to stress this. I don't want to take anything away from Charlie Perry, who has an incredible accomplishment getting 44% of the vote by saying John Mitchell didn't do... Charlie Perry earned every single vote he got. And there's always a protest vote against an incumbent. And the incumbent should anticipate that and try to counteract it. But particularly in Ward 4, those are all Charlie Perry's votes. Uh, He he did a great job. The other thing that's interesting is 
because we have this debate right now about the police and everything that's going on, Charlie Perry got, got a lot of votes. I think a lot of votes because he's a police officer. I think that people really do appreciate their local police. The way people say they don't like Congress, but they, they love their congressman. You know, I think people really like their local police. And I heard that from people in the community that they like Charlie Perry because he's a police officer, which I think is, is, is an interesting dynamic given the national tone. Uh, Charlie did uh, speak at that candidate's night in Ward 4. The, the mayor was, uh, to his credit, in New York, I'm in Washington, yes. rather, uh, uh, speaking on the fisheries, advocating on the Magnuson-Stevens Act, which is, you could argue that nothing is, is of more vital importance yes. to the city. So the, the, the mayor had absolutely uh, a good reason not to be there, but he wasn't there. And uh, there was a lot, and there was obviously a friendly crowd in mm-hmm. Ward 4 at the Gomes School, but there was a lot of talk about the roads. And uh, anyone who drives in New Bedford County Street, New Bedford, you know... Uh, brutal. I know it's on the, the list to be fixed, but it's it's in brutal shape. And I was surprised by the, the, the depth of the feeling um, about that. I hear it all the time. I, I know I'm up in the Mount Pleasant Street area sometimes, and I have... I, there's, a, there's a bump up on the Mount, uh, Mount Pleasant Street that... Um, as you go to uh, as you go go up to um, as you come into the main intersection there, I mean it turns the lights on in your dashboard when you hit it. It's it's in, absolutely incredible. I mean it's, a, it's very dangerous. Um, I think you're right. People just have complaining about the roads. I think crime is an issue in the city. Um, oh, the mayor correctly points that the FBI statistics show that crime is dying. Totally, totally. Those are accurate. I mean, I, I can't say whether the FBI statistics are accurate or not, but they are the FBI statistics. And yeah, and, and, and that crime is down. And here's the thing: I feel totally safe in the city of New Bedford, and I make so that point I. all the time. Um, I feel totally safe in the city. Everyone I know feels basically safe in the city of New Bedford. I go to Boston all the time. New Bedford has nowhere near the crime that Boston has or the danger that Boston has. I don't feel dangerous in Boston. But it doesn't matter in some respects because we're in the media and we know. And the mayor has complained about it, but it's the fact. If it bleeds, it leads. That's true. But also, I think the mayor has pointed out that far and wide, most neighborhoods in the city uh, are safe. Absolutely. There are, there are a few troubled, very troubled neighborhoods Absolutely. where almost all the crime occurs. Yes. And, and so you can be living in an area like Buttonwood Park, the far north end, and, and never see any discernible crime. Right. Uh, and so, but you see it on the ra- you hear it on the radio, and you see it in the paper. And so it does have an effect on people, even though I have, I, I, again, I have no fear whatsoever, and I totally agree with the mayor that this, it's a safe city. Yeah. But it doesn't matter when yeah. you're talking about the perceptions. Yeah, so you'll have, you'll have things like the roads, crime, uh, constituent service issues. You also have the mayor being able to talk about the new marine commerce terminal, yes. which is set possibly to have the biggest uh, wind industry, uh, a big wind industry that such as New Bedford has not had in a generation, employing lots of people. You have the, the harbor walks that he's built. Those you have the, the turnaround of uh, a New Bedford school system, which is not there yet, but it's fair to say that there has been more progress made in recent years uh, uh, with that effort. Uh, the union seems to be working cooperatively with the um, administration now. Mm-hmm. So there are things he can point to. No, and John Mitchell is an excellent ambassador for the city of New Bedford. He's a Harvard-educated man former U.S. attorney. He speaks well. He's good-looking. He's got a nice wife and family. I mean, he he is a great ambassador for the city. And I think that that is important. I, I can tell you that in the time I've had him up to the Boston area, and he, we've had him on to be interviewed, people I'm with, co-hosts, say, 
Wait, I mean, what, what great things were going on in New Bedford? You know, he really does a good job for the city. And I think people... Um, I think, people, I think people recognize that about him. You know, he, that, that when he goes down to Washington, he, he is a good ambassador for the city. When he goes to Boston, uh, this thing he did recently where he had bring the, the, New Bedford, the National Conference of Mayors to New Bedford, and then they released that statement, the New Bedford Principles, which is based on green energy and taxes. And he's also made New Bedford a national leader in environmental energies with solar panels. Yes. Yes. No, he, he, he is a good ambassador for the city. Um, and that's important. It really is. And, you know, and, he, and he's worked very hard to try to improve the image of the city. Um, and, and he's made no bones about that, saying, look, we've got to work a little harder. We've got to try a little more. We can't ask for other people to do it for us. So I, I think, he, again, this is why it's so shocking that his team let all that go by the wayside and, and didn't talk about this during the preliminary election which would have which would have driven up the voter turnout for him and would have given him much more impressive numbers so i want to turn now to the the ward races uh, sure. a little bit and um uh we had four races out that were decided um on tuesday was one and two and was four and five um well let's just go start with the beginning Ward one um seven candidates none of them terribly well known and uh, out of that, we have Melissa Costa and uh, William Brad Markey, I guess. Uh, what did you think of that race? Well, first of all, the two candidates who I thought were going to go head-to-head didn't even run, which were Peter Boswell from the Park Board and former firefighter and a gr- real great guy if you have him on your campaign team. He's a hard-working guy as far as campaigns go. And he of talked course, about it, but he, did, yeah, he didn't put his name in. Right, and Chris Carter, who's on the school mm-hmm. committee. Those two guys, I thought, those are going to be the guys in the final. And neither one of them turned their papers in. I don't know the other two folks that ran. It was very, for what normally takes place in a Ward 1 race, I didn't, and I have a lot of people up there. I didn't hear of much door knocking. I didn't hear of any mail. There was no commercial on the radio. I didn't see anything in the newspaper as far as advertising goes. Very, very low, uh, low activity race. I don't know where it goes from here. So how, how, how do you think the two that came through came through? Uh, there, there were a group of them, uh, the two Costas, Maki, and um, I believe one more candidate who, who uh, which shows even a political junkie like me knows, right. knows them so little, that had, they were a little bit further. You, you think it was just um, uh, name recognition, door to door? You know, I would say it could have been a, a social media campaign. And I think people are way overestimating the use of social media in a New Bedford local election. I think the, the people who are concentrating on, and we're on Facebook, right? <laughs> Sorry, Facebook. But I think the amount of people who are going to be moved because they're on Facebook is minuscule in the city of New Bedford election. Mm-hmm. Just, it, we're not there yet. So and maybe it, that was it. Maybe it was, maybe they, uh, friends and family, they could have done some house parties. But whatever it was, it was, it was uh, low impact. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about where it goes from here? Well, one of them, or both of them will now realize that they lucked out and they will hear the criticism and they'll either go out and knock on doors or they'll think that they did it all right the first time and, and that, that they that they're, they know what they're doing when they don't. And so if one of them gets out there and starts banging on doors and does some ads in the Standard Times, gets some radio time, puts up signs and, and talks to their neighbors, then they will win. Mm-hmm. Are there any favorites, any issues to watch out for? I haven't seen anything. Again, Again, I think that you're going to... Because of the golf course's proximity to Ward 1, you'll probably have that could end up being an issue. Um, again, crime, I think taxes will be an issue. 
But John Mitchell is going to drive up the vote in Ward 1 because that's where his base, you know, that's his base. Looks like they're going to bring in a few bigger planes to the airport. That could be an issue. You know, what a difference because I don't know, Jack, if you were here where the original debate went on, but it used to be in, in Ward 1, if you were in favor of expanding the airport, you were gone. Yeah, I was there for that. For <laughs> you that were debate. gone. And that was not. Uh, back in the day in Kalis's administration, Fred right. Kalis, uh, that, that was the issue. Uh, they did not want more flights coming in there. Right. Uh, now it seems they're going to have some more flights at least. Uh, we'll see how, how busy it gets, but they're, they're trying to do that. And I, I don't see the level of resistance that you once did. Neither do I. It's amazing. It's, it's an amazing now, – now, it may be that you don't have the kind of political personalities that, 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 drive it, that drive that type of debate up there. But again, that could be one that – it was always simmering. It was always under the surface. So if you, if you are candidate – now, I think it's good for the city and good for the region to, to bring in more planes, quite frankly. Um, but we're talking about politics, not what's good. You know, not what's necessarily good. I would think if one of the candidates starts to make that an issue, then they, they could get some traction on that. Then we have what two? Where uh, Maria Gesta had a yes. healthy vote. Uh, she may have had the um, widest percentage margin of any of the candidates in the bel- ballot versus Edward Cartagena, uh, a Latino candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, I'm told, about 20, 25% of the city now is of Latino right. origin, but they have not been as politically active as they might be. It takes a right. while to, to, um, for populations to become a cultured. Uh, to that, uh, right. Edwin's a very active in nonprofits in the city, right. but he has a, a challenge ahead of him. Yeah, I, I think Maria Giesta will will win overwhelmingly up there, like she did in the preliminary election. She's run for mayor. She has a good resume. She has a good good experience uh, in, in political you know life working for Congressman Frank. She she will win, but that shouldn't dissuade Mr. Cartagena from coming back and doing something in the future. In other words. Sometimes it's got nothing to... You don't lose because of you. You lose because your, your opponent's just, just better. And, and we also talked about ethnic pride. Right. Uh, 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 there's still a lot of Portuguese in um, yeah. Y2, uh, increasingly number of Latinos. Uh, you know, as you pointed out, people uh, often vote for their ethnic groups. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Irish are only about 8% uh, of New Bedford, but they vote. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, and also Maria Giesta, to her credit, worked really hard. I, you know, I have some people up in Ward 2 that I count on to tell me what's, what's going on in their neighborhoods. And they said the only one they heard, you know, Maria just came banging on the door, knocking on the door and talking to voters. That works. It counts. She didn't take this one for granted. Not that she took the first one for granted either. She raised and spent a decent amount of money in that mayor's race two years ago. It was, it was, it was a much harder challenge. I much think. harder challenge. Um, because when John Mitchell needs to turn it on, he can turn it on. And he did. So I think Ward 2, you'll get. Um, and I think that would be the first woman to ever represent Ward 2. Probably. Mm-hmm. Just mentioned uh, John Mitchell turning it on. Uh, people, you know, people are, are maybe a little bit surprised. They are surprised uh, by how well Charlie Perry did. But I remember when John Mitchell was not supposed to defeat um, either uh, Tony Cabral or Linda Morad. He finished second in the preliminary and then won the general election against Tony. Uh, and people were surprised. He yes. did a lot of door to door up in Ward One. Uh, that time in Ward 6 also. I don't know whether as mayor he has the ability to do as much door-to-door. Uh, being mayor is a full-time job, but but um, uh, it might yeah. be a mistake to underestimate John Mitchell. Totally a mistake. Look, mm-hmm. he, he, you don't get into Harvard University because you rest on your laurels. I mean, he he's, works at what he's trying to do He and you know since he was a kid. Um, he, I agree with you. No, I didn't. I wasn't as involved at that point, but... Um, 
I never thought he was going to beat Linda Morad or Tony Cabral. And in Ward 1, he beat her. Yeah. Yeah. He, he um, and again, that's what's so interesting about the fact that they slept out this, this preliminary election because he knows how to win. And he knows what it takes to win. Again, we're going to see that. But also, you can get too comfortable. You can get too uh, 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 assuming that there's no problem. Let's go on to Ward 4. Sure. That was the closest election uh, this time. Yeah. Uh, uh, Danica Barbero uh, yes. defeated, uh, ran ahead of uh, JoJo Force by three votes. Three votes. They'll face off in the primary. I've noticed in the time I've been in the Bedford that Ward 4 tends to flip back and forth mm-hmm. more than the other wards. Uh, Dana's been in there for two terms now. She has, unusually for the city, said she will only serve uh, three terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, JoJo's served four terms, but but not consecutively. Right. Uh, he's been in and out. Uh, Bruce Duart defeated him one time, and then uh, JoJo came back. Right. So... Uh, uh, how do you see Ward 4? Well, I, I would say this. Dana Ribeiro was smart to promise three terms because and, and, and say she's going to live up to it. Of course, what it means is that the downside of that is that she's saying to people, if you reelect me, I'm a, I'm a lame duck. My, my last term, I'll be, I'm, I'm not running again. I'm a lame duck. Doesn't mean she's not going to work hard, but it's harder to galvanize your counselors if they know you're not going to be there in the future, right? Tough to... Tough to get, trade votes and do the things that have to be done in politics if everyone there knows you're not going to be around to reciprocate in two years. So it's, so it's a double-edged sword there. I'm going to serve for three terms, but now, but if you reelect me, I'll be a lame duck in my last term. Do you know what I mean? So I think she's, she's got some difficulties there. The fact that she only ran ahead by three votes over Jojo Forts and the other gentleman who's a retired Marine Corps gunny sergeant which would be great to have in the city council, wouldn't it? We had to give him. We had to create another seat and just put him in there. Uh, he got up to two, he got about two hundred votes. Now those won't all go to JoJo Fords, but you've got to assume a percentage of those, and probably the majority of those will, will are more inclined to go with other than the incumbent. So I think JoJo Fords is in, in a really good position. He's in a really good position. Dana Ribeiro does know politics. She she has beat him before. She understands what she's twice. doing. Yeah, twice. She's technically proficient. Uh, with the mechanics of elections. Um, she's not with the Democratic Party any longer. I do not believe so. No. And so that was always helpful because, you know, when you when you work for a political organization, you're going to get some naturally get some benefits of that f- for your political campaign. So that's gone for her. So that's a loss of resources, I think, there. And Jojo Forts has an experienced group of people around him. I would say uh, advantage Forts so far. Does Jojo benefit from the big vote for Charlie Perry? Maybe some people, especially in the preliminary election, some people who <coughs> might not have come out uh, brings his vote. I, I'll tell you, um, I was around the city, and especially Ward 4, where I live, uh, on election day, and um, JoJo had signs and people out at every single one of the precincts. Yes. And Dana did not so much. Not, neither did, um, uh, uh, I'm feeling... I know. Uh, Ken Gilbert. Ken Gilbert, yes. Uh, but, uh, Gunny Sergeant Ken Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, very nice man. Uh, but... Uh, Gilbert did have some signs out, but 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 JoJo really was working that organization. Uh, is there a ceiling to that? Uh, uh, because you've got to figure that, that there are some voters who don't vote in preliminaries; they vote in the final election, right? And uh, that will come out that 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 uh, make might make make it uh, more to uh, Barrow's benefit, or or is this going to be close all the way down? I think that what you saw. Is, I think what you saw on the preliminary election was the start of JoJo's campaign. I just think he's going to just keep ramping it up from here. The, you know, the fact that he could that he could cover all the polls. So the preliminary election, 
in a race like that where you had to assume it was going to end up being Dana and JoJo. I mean, the Gunny Sargent's a great guy, but he's running against two political uh, experts. So you use your preliminary election to, to test your organization, to test your organization, to say where are our holes. The fact that JoJo Forts was able to, as you point out, cover all the precincts, do all that type of stuff at the preliminary election means he's absolutely going to be able to do it at the final election, and he's only going to get stronger from here. The fact that she didn't do that means she either couldn't produce an organization or didn't think she needed to, which I don't believe that, um, or just opted to say, we'll just save it, save it till the final election. Well, politics, in my opinion, is like lifting weights or exercising. You, you, the more you do it, the stronger you get. You don't wear out your organization. Your organization only gets stronger. So, if you, know, if you go to the gym three days a week, you're going to be stronger than if you go to the gym one day a week or once a month, right? So in politics, the more you use your political organization, the stronger it gets. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you just say, well, I'll save my people to later, well, they're not going to be there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And then finally, we have Ward 5, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is... Uh, I always call it the mayor's ward. Like, you know, almost all, all the mayors since I've been here, at least, uh, with the exception of Fred Kalis, mm-hmm. have come out of Ward 5. Um, it's uh, the, the ward, for, for those who might not know, that is centered around Buttonwood Park, yes. uh, uh, a middle-class section of the city. And we had five candidates, and Paul Chase and Scott Lima came through. Uh, how did you see that one? Um, well, I, I know of both those gentlemen. I haven't met either one of them, but I understand they're both really good guys. They both worked at it. So there's an example of when you're working at something, you know, you get it, it gets done. Um, I thought Nelson Macedo was going to do better just based on the fact that, you know, he's got a history in the city, but that can be, you know, that can cut both ways. A lot of his people have probably moved out of the city or, you know, sometimes it's too bad when you know a lot of people in the obituary. It must be 20 years since he was in office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I would say that um, both those candidates, I couldn't tell you who's going to, going to win now. I would assume that uh, Mr. Chase, again, that you didn't see a lot of traditional advertising. You did see signs, and I do know they were knocking on doors. Now it will become a real race to, 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 the, uh, to the finish here. Um, I, don't, I don't know um, whether either one of them are, is aligned with either one of the yeah. mayoral candidates. Yeah, Lima won comfortably. He, yeah. It was... Um, I'm not sure it was quite a hundred votes, but 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 it was approaching that. Yeah, uh, that, that's something in a, a small ward race. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there were three candidates whose votes were up for grabs. Now, mm-hmm. where do they go? Do you see? Um, uh, we had uh, two two candidates in particular, Nelson Macedo and Kathleen Towers, who mm-hmm. who polled well. Right. Uh, where do those votes go? Well, people can't really direct votes. If if someone does an endorsement in that race to the other one, that certainly will help out. I don't know why anyone would, though. I mean, you know, I think those people, uh, particularly Kate Towers, she's got a future in front of her. You know, Nelson may be done with politics. I don't know. Um, but the, I, I, I think that those voters, are, again, Ward 5 is, is, is your best turnout in the whole city, highest percentage turnout. I would I'm say, not sure this time it was. Oh. Uh, no, mate. No, I think. Well, you're probably. I think Ward Four. Probably Ward Four. I think Ward. I think you're right about that. Ward Four. But now, as the mayor's race gets going, yes, I think the mayor's going to really turn up his base, which that'll be that's part of his base, obviously five. So, although he didn't win every precinct in five, but he won the big ones. 
I don't know. I really don't know that Lima. I I have heard wonderful things about Scott Lima and wonderful things about uh, Mr. Chase. So yeah, they're both real estate uh, professionals. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Interesting. That point of view will be represented in the city council one way or the other. <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> um, so we'll have to just uh, wait and see that. So this has been fun, Chris. Uh, this is the first uh, time we've done this. Uh, we're doing more of these Facebook lives at the Standard Times, and uh, we hope to do a few more uh, during the political season. And uh, we hope you'll watch. And I think. This is a low-budget operation. I'm supposed to uh, <laughs> power things down by myself. So Now you know I how I feel at the radio station. Try Jack. to do that now. <laughs> Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.